I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, January 5th, 2024. I'm Eben Brown. The first votes in the presidential election will be cast in 10 days from now at the Iowa caucuses. And Governor Ron DeSantis is still playing for keeps against rival Nikki Haley. I'm doing Iowa the way people that have been successful have done it. We visited all 99 counties. We answer voters' questions. We're on the ground. We've got a great organization. What she's doing is she's relying on a lot of Wall Street money. Uh, to just flood the airwaves uh, and hope that that is somehow going to do the trick. We speak with Governor Ron DeSantis from the campaign trail in Iowa. I'm Chris Foster. President Biden plans to go hard against former President Trump in his first 2024 re-election speeches. The polling on everything from the border to foreign policy to the economy is really bad for the current president. Um, as much as they want to tout Bidenomics, people at home say, not working for me. I actually think things are getting worse and not better. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. When Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis won his re-election race in 2022, he shocked much of the political world, winning by 20 percent. He far exceeded pollster predictions, who had best forecasted a sliver of a victory. From that moment, his fans and even his detractors, both Republican and Democrat, began wondering how DeSantis might look living at the White House. Even he'd admit it's been a long fight. Pollsters, if you are to believe their work, suggest former President Donald Trump's nomination is mostly assured. DeSantis points to his own victory in 2022 in saying polls aren't the end-all, be-all. But he's clashed plenty with the former president, once considered the governor's mentor. And then there is his now regular bouts with South Carolina's former governor, Nikki Haley, for whom polls have been more kind. Let's start with Ron DeSantis. Literally, there is not one commercial that fella has put on TV that has been truthful. Not one about me. Not one. In South Carolina, uh, Haley brought in a lot of Chinese companies when she was governor. We're not doing that in Florida. If these fellas have to lie to win, they don't deserve to win. So if they're going to lie about me, I'm going to tell the truth about them. Donald Trump is running for his issues. Nikki Haley is running for her donors' issues. I'm running for your issues and your family's issues uh, and for the future of this country. I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. You've heard those back and forths. But DeSantis is hoping to make Iowa and its famous caucus his proving ground. In fewer than two weeks, the Iowa caucuses will show whether or not pollsters know what they're doing. And they'll show whether or not Republican presidential hopefuls have any staying power. DeSantis says his campaign in Iowa is doing exactly what it needs to do. And he's anticipating a good night on January 15th. Uh, we've got massive volunteers, uh, tens of thousands of people committed to caucus for us. And, you know, the caucus is unique because it's not you just don't just go in and submit a ballot like it's a process. Governor DeSantis joined us from the campaign trail in Des Moines. And these are people that are very committed to the cause. And so we've been able to line up an enormous amount of people. There's about 1,630 precincts that will be take place. Uh, we've got precinct captains and well over 1,500 of them. And so we've put an emphasis on doing the things that have paid off 
uh, in prior Iowa caucuses. I think the candidates who you know spend all the money on TV uh, but aren't actually down on the ground visiting folks, they tend to underperform, uh, and the candidates that have that organization tend to overperform. So we feel like we're uh, we've got a lot of momentum behind us right now with how things have gone for us in the last month or so, uh, and we're going to ride that all the way into uh, to caucus night. So we're excited about it. I I, I can tell you January fifteenth, the current weather forecast is a little bit different than South Florida. Uh, I think it's going to be potentially in the negatives, uh, but I think that we have a lot of true believers who are going to be willing to trudge through the snow to be able to go participate in this process. It's been a hard fight, I think, for everyone involved. Uh, and and it seems that the while the rhetoric mostly had been concentrated on former President Trump and perhaps yourself, that, that focus now, I think, has turned more to you and Governor Haley. It seems to have gotten a little contentious. You know, Governor Haley feels her best efforts will be in New Hampshire. Hampshire. But you've had a reaction to that. And, and I'd, I'd like for you to talk about that, because uh, certainly now Governor Haley is beginning to attack you uh, in, in her ads and in her, her rhetoric uh, while trying to campaign in Iowa. So I've had 40 million dollars spent attacking me. That's more than all the other Republicans have had spent against them combined. That's more than has been spent against Donald Trump and Joe Biden combined in the 2020 in this 2024 cycle so clearly they view me as a threat but what Nikki Haley said in New Hampshire was that Iowa starts it but then she said New Hampshire quote corrects it and the question is what does uh, Iowa need to be corrected for are you trying to say Iowans somehow their voice doesn't matter and it needs to be corrected so it was very disrespectful for what she've said people have taken notice of it here in Iowa governor Reynolds tweeted about it. A lot of the members of the legislature, the local media picked it up. But I think that I'm doing Iowa the way people that have been successful have done it. We visited all 99 counties. We answer voters' questions. We're on the ground. We've got a great organization. What she's doing is she's relying on a lot of Wall Street money to just flood the airwaves uh, and hope that that is somehow going to do the trick. Uh, but she's not been willing to go visit all the counties. Uh, she's not been willing uh, to take questions like we've been able to do. And, you know, the same is true for Donald Trump. I mean, he has not been willing to take questions from Iowa voters. He refused to participate in the debate that we're doing on January 10th. He, of course, has not participated in any debate uh, thus far. So uh, I think he's just reasoned no one, you know, no one's really holding him accountable because I think, look, the liberal media, they've hated him for so long. They want him to be the candidate. And so I think they've gone easy on him. I think if he does become the nominee, you're going to see that change yeah. on a dime uh, and they're going to go scorched earth to be able to prop up the Democrats. But nevertheless, you know, he's not really done what Iowans expect either. And so I think that as we get closer, as now people are, and there's still a lot of people haven't yep. made up the final decisions. I was going around doing stops the other day. We flipped a lot of people uh, who came to our events. And so this is all very, still very fluid, but I think we're getting in our direction in a good way. I do want to ask you about polling. Uh, you, I, I know you have a contentious relationship with a lot of pollsters, or at least the results that they like to publish. Uh, as much effort as you've put in and as much results you say you're, you're seeing on the ground, polls have not always reflected that. Uh, and uh, and you've had, a, as I said, a contentious relationship with these polls, even going back to your 2022 re-election campaign here in Florida. Uh, what does it make you think or what goes through your head when you see these polls with these either it's a wide lead from Donald Trump or that Nikki Haley has made has gained ground on you? Uh, that that certainly has to register somewhere with you. What What is that like? Well, here's the thing. So uh, you're right. I, I was very critical in 2022 yeah. in my reelection because there were polls coming out 
that I was in the margin of error with my Democrat opponent. Some even had me down. Most of them had me winning, but by like three to six points. And I won by 20 points. Yeah. And, you know, we knew that we were going to win big because we were actually identifying the people that had committed to vote for us and who we knew were going to turn out. And so I just think for them to have been so off in my reelection, I just don't put a lot of stock into what's what's going on. What we do, is, particularly in a caucus, is identify the people that are committed to us. So we've got uh, massive numbers of people that are committed. We're adding more every day. And then we turn them out. You know, part of the reason the polling has been bad with Iowa caucuses in the past is because it's hard to know who all is actually going to turn out. Because you can call someone and say, do you plan on caucusing? They can say yes. But when it's negative two degrees and snowy, are you going to go and spend two hours at a caucus site? Not everyone's willing to do that. So we just view it more in terms of nuts and bolts. That's what I did in my reelection as governor. Uh, our results were exactly what we forecasted in spite of having a lot of the polling uh, suggest otherwise. I also point out to people, because I know a lot of the news agencies, including Fox, have really done a lot on November 2024 polls a uh, year out. At this time in 1979, December 1979, uh, Ronald Reagan was supposedly down 24 points to Jimmy Carter. And of course, Ronald Reagan ended up winning um, a landslide. So I think we should just let people register their uh, votes. I think the polls are used more to advance narratives and, and try to change opinion rather than accurately reflect it. But look, that's just the name of the game. I mean, you know, I, I, I'll deal with whatever I have to deal with. Uh, that's what you have to do. You have yeah. to navigate all this. But I do think once people are able to register their votes in Iowa, that will add a lot of clarity to this. And I think that that will help going forward, you know, just show people be able to take some of this with a grain of salt. What does a win look like in Iowa for you? Because as we know, the Iowa caucus system, it, it divvies out delegates to you know, people proportionally based on polling results. Do you have to be the winner to win? We need to win a majority of the delegates over this long haul. And so whatever we can do to, to get us in a position to do that in each of these things is, is what we're looking to do. I do think that you're going to see uh, it be very clear, you know, after Iowa, that there are only certain candidates that have a chance to win votes from core Republicans and conservative voters. And ultimately, to be the Republican nominee, you know, you have to do that. Um, I know someone like Nikki Haley in, in New Hampshire is really uh, playing towards the left-leaning independents, and they are eligible to vote. And that's fine in a general election to be able to do that. But to win a primary, you do need to get support from core Republicans. And I think it's been pretty clear for this whole year that the only two candidates that really can get support from core Republicans is Donald Trump and me. Uh, and so that's really going to be the story when we launch out of Iowa into New Hampshire, Nevada and South Carolina. Oh, and also, incidentally, you're trying to accumulate delegates. And so are you in it to win it or not? You know, Nikki Haley, she's not even competing in the Nevada caucus. She signed up for the Nevada primary, which doesn't award any delegates. Now, it's true the Nevada GOP is partial to Trump and they, they are trying to rig the caucus for him. But you know what? Democrats aren't going to make it easy for us. I'm competing in the Nevada caucus. Well, we have delegates at stake. I'm going to do whatever I can uh, to accumulate delegates 
throughout this process. So she's going to not even compete in Nevada. She's going to get zero delegates out of Nevada. So I don't understand how you can say you're credibly making a play for the nomination if you're not even competing in all the contests. With your brand of politics and, and your insistence on, as you've said, taking on the woke left and whatnot, and that's made you quite popular in Florida. How has that been received in Iowa? How does it get received in a place like New Hampshire, where these are very different you know, places and politically they have their own stripes. Uh, how is it played over in those places? Is it universal? Is it is it not universal? The vast majority of Americans reject the woke agenda. And I think that's part of the reason why we won so big in Florida. I mean, Florida was a 50-50 state. People were saying five or six years ago it was going to end up being a blue state. And we totally turned that on its head. And I think we were able to attract folks. Uh, if you look at what we did with the Hispanic vote winning over 60%, you know, you've got a lot of blue collar, patriotic, God-fearing folks who may not have voted Republican in the past, but they understand that a man can't become a woman. They understand it's wrong to inject a man in woman's sports. So these things, I think, where the left's gotten so crazy gives us an ability to build a strong majority. And so I think that's true with independent voters. And I do think it's true, you know, with some of these more moderate Democrats who look at what's going on in the universities, they see what's going on in the cities with uh, the woke approach to crime, which is causing crime to go up. Uh, and I think they want some sanity. So I do think it gives an opportunity for a candidate like me uh, to do very well uh, in the general election. I don't think those voters would sign up for Donald Trump. I think he's a deal breaker for them. Uh, you know, he won Florida by three. I won by 20. So clearly there's there's definitely a gap there. Uh, but I think I'd be able to do it. And I think it'll be something that will be meaningful in a general election when you're going against a, a Democrat in a primary. You know, most of the candidates aren't running as woke left. I mean, Nikki Haley, maybe a little bit, but the rest aren't trying to do that. But I think the contrast when you're going up against a, a liberal Democrat uh, like a Biden or a Harris or a Newsom, I think the contrast is going to be sharp and I think it benefits us. All right. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis campaigning in Des Moines, Iowa, with 10 days to go before the Iowa caucuses. Thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown. Thank you. God bless. You know him, you love him from his radio show. I know. I can't believe they gave me a show either. Now Jimmy Fallon is coming to Fox News on Saturday night. Look, I'm not here on behalf of either party. I just want to have a party. Now that's what I'm talking about. So grab a frosty mug, pour yourself a beverage, and join me for the all-new Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. Premieres Saturday, January 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Only on the Fox News Channel. Saturdays just got a whole lot funnier. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. The first actual voting of the 2024 campaigns just 10 days from now. The Iowa caucus is January 15th. Everyone's still far behind former President Trump everywhere. Polls show Florida Governor Ron DeSantis running second in Iowa, just ahead of former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. She's beating DeSantis by a lot in New Hampshire and has campaigned there heavily. I trust you. I trust every single one of you. You know how to do this. You know Iowa starts it. You know that you correct it. You know that you continue to go. And then my sweet state of South Carolina brings it home. That primary is January 23rd. South Carolina is February 24th. The New Hampshire primary is January 23rd. South Carolina is February 24th. DeSantis says he can take his success in Florida nationwide. We took a state that was evenly divided uh, and the Democratic Party now lies in ruins. Governor there in America's newsroom on Fox. 
he has put all his eggs sort of in the Iowa basket. She's got most of hers in the New Hampshire basket. But right, if she pulled again ahead of him in Iowa, it would be very difficult to continue. Fox News Sunday and Living the Bream podcast host Shannon Bream. I'm not going to say he would leave because I think he's going to keep fighting. But when you start to run out of donors and money, you know, the wheels fall off and you have to make a decision at some point. Certainly by the time you get to South Carolina, this thing could be over. Now, the DeSantis folks feel very bullish. They say, listen, he's done the 99 counties. He's got a lot of support. He got, you know, a couple really critical endorsements, including the governors there. And they are predicting that people will be surprised at how well he does uh, in the caucus. But if that is the case, then he does propel with some momentum into yeah. New Hampshire where he's going to face t- very tough headwinds. Yeah. Um, and look, I was not necessarily an indicator. It often isn't of who gets the nomination. Exactly. But, but they can. My sense is that they can help bury candidates um, mm-hmm. who don't at least do OK. Yeah. And for DeSantis, his people have made the expectations for more than OK, that they're within striking distance of President Trump, that um, he's going to be way ahead of the rest of the field, including Nikki Haley. So that's a lot for them to live up to. And um, they say that they've laid all the groundwork. They've got the grassroots. They've got the ground game. And they really believe that they're going to surprise people come caucus night. And they need to. Just taking a look at some past results for fun. 2016 was Hillary Clinton and Ted Cruz. Neither of them are president. 2012, mm-hmm. Rick Santorum, not president. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2008 was Mike Huckabee and Barack Obama. So he... Mm-hmm. Um, he actually came out of it a winner. John mm-hmm. Kerry, Al Gore, George W. Bush. So at least recently, the Republican candidates have not been um, have not turned out to be the guy. Um, President Biden hasn't done much official campaigning. That changes. He has two big speeches focusing on, um, we're told, political violence and racism. He's already going to be treating Trump as his general election opponent. Yeah, and they basically are really telegraphing with the locations, with the symbolism, exactly what this is about. Um, They're making it very clear that they want to say the country is in jeopardy. And much like President Washington sort of rallied the troops at Valley Forge, that President Biden is the one to bring this coalition together to defeat the enemies of democracy and freedom, i.e. President Trump in their telling of the story. So they're very much going to lean into what's worked for them. Listen, you and I know and our listeners know the polling on everything from the border to foreign policy to the economy is really bad for the current president. Um, as much as they want to tell dynamics, people at home say, not working for me. I actually think things are getting worse and not better. So they have a lot of places that they cannot go where the polling and the issues are concerned, but they feel like what worked for them in 2020, i.e., I am the savior of holding this country together and democracy and freedom and all of those things. They're going back to that well because they feel like it worked in 2020. And really, it's probably their best option, given the polling on every other issue for the White House right now. Yeah, he's got that speech today um, at Valley Forge in Pennsylvania, where George Washington uh, rallied rallied the troops during the Revolutionary War. Like you said, uh, that was supposed to be tomorrow to mark the uh, third anniversary mm-hmm. of, of the Capitol riot. But he'll give you know essentially the same speech. You just can't say it was three years ago today. Uh, and then Monday is going to speech at uh, the church in Charleston, South Carolina, where white supremacists killed parishioners in 2015. I think that that's interesting in so many different ways. You know, there's a lot of talk here in Washington that both his visit to South Carolina and the vice president's as well is about telegraphing to black voters where they've been losing some territory um, that we are here for you. We're fighting for you. We hear you. We are with you. Um, Remember, we all know that South Carolina was a huge turnaround for Biden, and it saved his presidential ambitions and got him eventually to the White House. So 
there's a lot that's very meaningful for him with South Carolina, but it's also the place where Nikki Haley stepped up as governor and made some decisions that were difficult when it came to, you know, in the wake of that horrific shooting. And she wrote about it in her book. She's talked about how meeting with those families and really hearing from them the devastation and pain and the long simmering wounds, not just that night, which was horrific, but, you know, the entire issue there in South Carolina of race and of you know, centuries of discord and hurt um, that it left her with some sort of, you know, really lingering emotional reaction to that sort of a PTSD situation. So she's waded into those trenches as well. And we'll have a story to tell in South Carolina on the same front that I think that the president and vice president are trying to tap into, too. Yeah. We know that it's yet another data point where the former president, Trump, and his supporters can say, look, they're out to get him. Um, what's your legal take on the Trump ballot challenges in Colorado and Maine. I mean, some, the seeming, I've read as much as I could mm-hmm. stand, and some seemingly smart people <laughs> have made arguments for and against the legitimacy of this using this insurrection clause in the Constitution. Does it just come down to what your definition of insurrection is? In part, but the other arguments are that Section 3 doesn't apply anyway because Section 3 doesn't list the presidency as the office that you'd be barred from. It lists, you know, senators, representatives, state and judicial, it lists all kinds of things. The Trump team's argument is if it applied to the president, why wouldn't it in this very specific list include him? It also talks about the oath that is taken that you would be violating in, you know, participating in insurrection. They say that the oath President Trump took is not the same oath that's referenced in Section 3. And yeah, I mean, it really comes down to this issue of insurrection. They'll note that when the 14th Amendment was passed, where Section 3 is found, that the understood definition of insurrection the Trump legal team argues is taking up arms and waging war against the United States, which they say clearly that's not something the former president did. And listen, people across the, across the ideological spectrum, left, right and center, say what Colorado did is very questionable at best, and they're predicting maybe an eight one nine zero decision <laughs> at SCOTUS. We'll have to see. Yeah, uh, of course, the insurrection in, in that case long ago was referred to people who legit who did take up arms against right. against country in the Civil War. It was meant to um, get rid of um, Confederates. Um, all right, Shannon, we're two weeks away now from a deadline to fund uh, certain federal agencies. There's another deadline. February second oh is um, this is part of that last deal to avoid a government shutdown. That's now. You know, the sand is uh, falling out of the hourglass on that. Uh, where are we with the negotiations and bringing more border security into it? What are the Republican demands? Well, listen, there's a growing um, feeling within the very conservative House GOP, like the Freedom Caucus and others, that listen, if we don't get the border fixed, we shut down the government. Now, the speaker has not gone there yet. He is saying, I think, H.R. 2, which is the very tough border policy change bill that passed in the House, he says that's what we should be talking about. Now, over on the Senate side, you've got these negotiations ongoing um, that are bipartisan in nature. The White House has gotten involved, some think too late, but what's happening over there is very different than what could actually probably get passed in the House. How those two things meet in the middle, we don't know, but you're right, this is against the backdrop of running out of government funding potentially January 19th, and again, another tranche on February 2nd. So that along with aid for Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan and humanitarian aid into Gaza and so many other places, this is a horrible to-do list for, you know, a a Congress that has 19 percent approval currently. Um, And the American people don't have a lot of confidence they're going to get it done. But listen, Sunday on Fox News Sunday, we're going to have the lead GOP negotiator, Senator James Lankford, who is in the room with Senator Chris Murphy, Senator Kirsten Sinema. They're trying to hammer out this deal on the Senate side. So we'll get a, a, you know, up to date firsthand account of where they are on Sunday. 
Uh, it may or may not matter, but it's. I thought it was interesting enough to mention. Um, Ohio House Republican uh, Bill Johnson is going to be leaving Congress mm-hmm. in the in between those two deadlines, January twenty first. He's going to go to Youngstown State University to be the president there. That will bring the Republicans down to a two vote margin. They, you know, they can't lose more than two votes if if the Democrats all stick together. I don't know how long it's going to last because then New York Democrat Brian Higgins says he's going to split um, sometime in February. We don't know exactly when, um, but it's just something to watch as these deadlines come around. Yep, exactly, because every vote will count. And we know we joke about the thing on, on Capitol Hill that you're hurting cats, but you really are for Republicans when you only have a two vote kind of situation that you can play with. This speaker is, what, 70 plus days into the job. And man, he's got some Herculean tasks ahead of him. Uh, we're just getting the first unreleased documents naming names associated with Jeffrey Epstein. These are part of a lawsuit against his uh, accomplice, Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, now, some of these people are barely associated with Epstein, and there are some, you know, maybe gross, if proven true, details attached, but nothing earth-shattering yet, right? Yeah, I mean, it, we, you know, when you have the the one quote out there that's from somebody that's being asked, um, what about Bill Clinton? They allege that Epstein said he likes them young, referring to girls. Listen, Clinton's name has been attached to Epstein for a long time, so I don't think that that's probably a huge shocker. And it's certainly not anything criminal and activity has been exposed for any of these people. Um, I haven't looked through all the documents, but many of them that I've seen look like documents where you would be in discovery, meaning you're just asking, do you have pictures of this person or this name or whatever? Not saying these people are accused of crimes, but they may be tangentially somewhere. There's some interest in finding out if they were involved in anything nefarious with Epstein. So I think it's a lot of speculation at this point, but no actual smoking guns for most of these names that are floating up. It's all the stories, including the ones that I have done on the air, all have these caveats, no proof of wrongdoing, no proof of wrongdoing. It's funny that like every single one I've heard and seen so far, just really making sure that these people aren't dragged through the mud any more than they are just by being mentioned at all. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're in a picture, there are a lot of people who are in a picture with Epstein who would never have gone to his island or taken, you know, part in, you know, all these accusations of him with underage girls and trafficking people and all these horrible things. But if you were in his orbit at all, you're not feeling good right now because your name is going to be put out there, even if you never engaged in criminal activity. You know, there are people out there who say, all right, once he was actually a convicted sex offender out of Florida, why did you continue to spend time around him? And I think that's the more difficult question for people to answer. In more recent years, why were you still in his company when these allegations were more clearly broadly known? And there was, you know, um, some sticking down there in Florida about accusations and convictions. Yeah. And former President Clinton has said, look, I didn't know anything about this. And his time with Epstein apparently ended long before those charges. And the same with, same with former President Trump. He said a long time ago, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big Epstein fan. But you're right. Some of the more recent accusations, including the ones against Prince Andrew, are maybe a little more problematic for him, um, which he's already settled out of court, I, I, I guess. Um, it's part of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday and the Live in the Bream podcast. Shannon, good talk. Great to be with you, Chris. Have a great new year. And now some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 
A new study suggests that man's best friend may be more than just a companion. It could play a key role in helping stave off dementia. The study, done by researchers from the Sun Yat-sen University in China, says that having a pet can help slow dementia progress among those over age 50 who live alone. The findings were published in JAMA Network Open and found that owning a pet made a difference in verbal memory and fluency. One key point in the study is that slower rates of decline were found in adults who live by themselves, but not in those who live with others. The research involved more than 7,900 participants over the age of 50, with roughly 35 percent of them owning pets and 27 percent of them living alone. Clinical trials are still needed to confirm the findings, but with more than 55 million people worldwide suffering from dementia, for which there is no cure, it's good news indeed. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. I'm Dana Perino. As we usher in the new year, we'll be taking a look at a new phase of the candidates' presidential campaigns. This week, Republican strategist Colin Reid joins me again with a closer look at how things are heating up in the race for the White House and beyond. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and FoxNewsPodcast.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren, what's on your mind? Breaking news, an open border costs you and I a whole lot of money. According to a new study from the Center for Immigration Studies, nearly three in five illegal immigrant households are receiving taxpayer-funded welfare. And yes, this is in addition to the food, shelter, and other perks migrants are getting as they enter the U.S. illegally. So how are people who have no legal right to be here cashing in on these welfare benefits intended for American citizens? Well, they qualify for these entitlements because although they may work, they are still low-income enough to access these benefits through their U.S.-born children, also known as anchor babies. Not only do we need to close our southern border immediately, we need to end birthright citizenship immediately. We simply cannot afford this, America. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren is Fearless, at OutKick.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 